she finally called me and she said you know you need to pick either of the two so there was this huge struggle at that particular point of time you know uh, we would be addressed as okay someone would be addressing you as officers and ladies and i'm like excuse me we are all officers so that is where the gender equity thing was there it was a huge struggle uh, among the 12 officers there were two of us one was a doctor and one was me and the rest were all men he's like are you nuts is there somebody else going with you i'm like no i'm going on a work visa he said i've never done a work visa for a woman going to nigeria i'm crossing the bridge and there's a man lying on the road dead in the pouring rain and nobody is stopping some of the crazy stuff i can't talk about it's all very classified but if i can make the environment around me not turn into an israel palestine that'll be something take a chance sometimes because you just never know what gold mine you're hitting into If you want to know what it takes to be a veteran and more importantly how you can make a big impact in veterans lives especially in India then you don't want to miss today's guest on my podcast which is Master's Decoded and my guest today is Lieutenant Sandhya Suri Sandhya is a veteran uh, but she has had an illustrious career has changed 84 homes uh, or 83 homes uh in her lifespan and an amazing perspective about life work and more importantly what it takes for veterans to build a career in a corporate environment so without much further ado let me get on with it hi sandhya welcome to masters decoded season 3 podcast i'm really really interested and glad to have you on the show today thank you anis i am so happy to be here as well it's very exciting to you know always get on a new podcast because it always brings something out so something that's there to learn so i'm looking forward to this yeah. thank you so much you're welcome and we were just before we started press record you were talking about your daughter's laptop which was military grade and that kind of moves into a topic which i wanted to start off with like how did military happen to you uh, and you started your career there Uh, yeah i was in college i wasn't really the ncc kind of a person uh, essentially because i had to make a choice between basketball and ncc but that's not the point okay. uh it was more of preparing i was preparing for ips at that point uh, mm. not wholeheartedly but yes uh, the mindset was there that i needed to do something uh, which kind of you know worked on bigger angle doing something that had a result or made a difference so I was prepping for that and then uh, in my second year of college uh, one of my college uh, you know uh, seniors she joined the navy mm. and the army had opened up earlier than the navy opened up so I applied for army air force navy all three arms nice. army didn't take me in they didn't even call me in for an interview entirely their loss that's how I like to see it uh, but uh, then I got a call from the navy so it just kind of happened and uh, i think i was glad not to go through the entire you know upsc exam and the interview and all of that we just kind of sailed through nice. also i was a lot fitter at that point i was playing basketball regularly so hmm. it kind of worked for me so that's how i ended up in the navy so you know you made a point that you had to choose between basketball and ncc why NCC. why why okay. was that choice why you had so, to make I studied from a government college mm-hmm. and uh, we had NCC wing and we also used to play games. Right. Uh, basketball was something I started playing in 12th grade mainly because my PT teacher in 6th grade said you will never end up playing basketball in your life. So it was just about maybe proving a point and uh, NCC so I was both a part of NCC and basketball at that time first year right. college. and my pt teacher was also the ncc commandant and so i would attend ncc and i would also be playing basketball but i wasn't really probably living up to her expectations of yes ma'am yes ma'am all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> so every time i would miss out ncc fallen because of my basketball practice then she finally called me and she said you know you need to pick either of the two so i ended up picking basketball because i really loved the game and uh, i mean i can sit outside the court and watch a game and want to be inside it all the time so it was literally like that i was obsessed with it at that point so for me it wasn't a difficult choice at that particular point of time and ncc you know when you have lesser numbers to compete with i think uh, you have a better ability to shine mm. 
and uh, at that point that was the mindset and in ncc there were hundreds scores of hundreds and i realized ki unless i suck it up it's not going to work and um, i'm not made for that so that was an easy choice very interesting now joining navy right and at that time many women were not opting for that kind of a career no right uh, today it is uh, it's an illustrious career and there is that pay quality and inclusion and all of that is happening which is heartening to see uh, how was that time for you because you know talking about those years where you know you would hardly find women actually taking that choice of joining any of the three armed for uh, three types of armed forces uh, how was that for you specifically in a may so called male dominated space yeah so uh, i think you know uh, the term career was not really something i related to for the military at that okay. point i think we were more about uh, i'm sorry to say i mean our generation yes we were like more focused towards uh, doing our bit you know the patriotism factor was slightly higher Hmm. Uh, not slightly actually a whole lot higher we just were idealistic right okay. so my joining the armed forces because i knew it was a seven year contract at that point uh, for me it was never about really a career part i think it was a privilege and an honor uh, i just uh, you know it was a huge struggle no doubt because i'm from the third batch so okay. my senior and i we are the only two women from that same college who have joined okay so uh, it's it's interesting to see that uh, you know how times have changed how we look at it as a career now and uh, not per se as a service which is kind of a privilege and an honor to serve so uh, mindsets change mm. so um, during my time it was definitely a struggle because the rules were not being made uh, opinions were not really being taken in terms of perspectives for how women need to be in the armed forces uh, where we didn't really create those rules uh, there were a lot of areas where i think men also felt disgruntled that the parameters of measures of success and productivity uh, differed for women than men uh, but then none of us signed up for molly godling honestly so there was this huge struggle at that particular point of time you know uh, we would be addressed as okay someone would be addressing you as officers and ladies and i'm like excuse me we are all officers so there was a lot of interruption that had to happen corrections that had to happen because the pay scale was the same uh, uniforms were literally the same except uh, hatefully to wear the sari was a difficult thing but essentially the thing was that if i am wearing the same uniform doing the same job yeah. why am i being addressed as a lady so that is where the gender equity thing was there it was a huge struggle now i don't think i think uh, there's a lot of privilege there's a lot of uh, changes that have occurred in the armed forces and i believe the air force is really at the helm despite me being in the navy i can say that because air force has always uh, you know supported equity in women hmm. uh, far more than men yeah. although you know uh, they also have taken time uh, you know and struggled a lot in terms of getting to that space uh, but it was a huge struggle i mean i've served on a ship where there were 252 of us 12 officers uh, rest of them were sailors all the sailors are men uh, oh. among the 12 officers there were two of us one was a doctor and one was me and the rest oh. were all men and there were just two women on the ship and uh, we served and then the navy stopped taking women on ships for almost 20 years and now they've started again so that's uh, that's a great move wow so when you were training you said there were only two people but how many what was the group size and how many were what was the distribution between men and women no no two people was in the service when i was yes. serving when i was posted on board a ship yeah. right uh, in training there were 14 of us 14 women out of and- hundreds of cadets you know the cadets wow. all over and it's just 14 of us women and there were two squadrons at a particular point of time and we trained in goa in the earlier naval academy now we right. have a huge huge campus and complex at uh, ahimala yeah. and uh, at that point of time it was uh, it was it was a struggle for both genders really you know uh, but it was fun i mm. had the best time ever i was constantly of course walking into trouble uh, but that's just me you know being very <laughs> with things i think uh, but it was a great time i think i just cherish my time in the forces 
talking it's about crazy. travel uh, you've really moved your bases uh, when i look yeah. at your linkedin profile yes. uh, there are variety of cities and i'm like hmm interesting it's mumbai lagos yeah mumbai again all over to lagos and the delhi and now dharamshala uh, closer to dharamshala so you know uh, travel teaches you a lot yes uh, and uh, especially being in navy there's one type of travel which you will have to do which is a little bit more uh, what i would call structured confidential it needs a certain level and then when you go go into corporate setup it's a different level it's not travel for business you're actually moving bases right you're actually yes. working there so you know now uh, and you've had many switches in career so we'll we'll talk yes. about it later but specifically travel right like when you think about navy travel and when you think about travel for like in a corporate setup uh, what were there similarities or, or were there completely different point of views when you looked at things there were similarities for me as a person uh, just to answer that but i'll just dive this a little bit to give you a bit of information that i don't know most people take find it very shocking i have moved 83 homes as far as i can remember in my life wow i'm oh, not wow. even that old right so just to keep that point of view uh, in the navy what happens is we we move from base to base so we actually move bag and baggage when we move right yeah. and i have done that throughout my navy career and i've also done that post my navy career mm-hmm. now why that has happened is i've never really owned a home i did for a while for a short span but my parents were living there my brother was living there but i've never lived in that home uh, the point is that for me it has always been like that i have mm. always moved bag and baggage it's a very expensive thing to do but uh, yes that's just how i have done so that way the similarities have been there where i've had to reestablish everything over and over again but like you said travel teaches you so much and it it allows you to embrace cultures which happened a lot in the navy anyway because it's a diverse workspace it you have to embrace people from different states uh, different communities different languages and uh, you know and work together so that uh, that adaptation and acceptance that equity that comes with it has is something that has moved from there to other spaces as well for me in terms of corporate and for me the corporate space hit when i went to nigeria right after i left the navy so it's a new culture new country new continent new yeah. work yeah. so absolutely new but i thoroughly enjoyed my time in nigeria even, wow. even in nigeria when i have absolutely enjoyed my time i've survived mugging and despite that i'm saying i would love to go back again it's that wow. kind of a place nice Uh, and talking about nigeria i have heard some horror stories from my colleagues when they have traveled for work right uh, unfortunately that place has been muddled with a lot of uh, cartels or people yes. uh, who are dangerous and can cause harm specifically for tourists uh, and i have had friends friends who have been either abducted or murdered uh, or you know i've had colleagues who talk about the horror stories like when they landed at the airport they were escorted by people carrying guns because it was unsafe specifically for tourists and you've been to nigeria a lot uh, yes right as part not once you've been to multiple times like from your career perspective so are yes. you a nigeria pro or a nigerian pro i would say and you just said that that you would love to go back so would love to get your is... experience uh, and your thoughts on that part of the world Uh, Nigeria has uh, every possibility of safety and non-safety, mm. as much as India has in certain regions. So let's put it that way. I would love to go back to Nigeria, mm. and it is my second home country. Let me put it that way. I I say that because I spent a decade there working. Mm. Yeah. In fact, when I went, I remember giving my passport to the travel agent who was supposed to work on my visa, and he said, "Why are you going to Nigeria?" I'm like for work. He's like, "Are you nuts? Is there somebody else going with you?" I'm like, "No, I'm going on a work visa." He said, "I've never done a work visa for a woman going to Nigeria ever." I'm like, "Well, there's a first time. Here you go." So that is where I started with. When I landed in Nigeria that day, I remember I had somebody from the office coming in to receive me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was another veteran from the navy. Uh, but I remember it was raining. pouring and i'm crossing the third mainland bridge i'm trying to pull down the window and he says don't pull down the window it's not safe 
and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm crossing the bridge and there's a man lying on the road, dead, in the pouring rain and nobody is stopping. And I'm like, hey, there's a guy in there, you know, in the rain, he might be injured. He might just be alive. Can we just help him out? He said, no, we don't stop. So that was my first, the first lesson I received even before I reached my, you know, office and the apartment I was staying in. I had to lock my apartment in seven spots. It was like being in a prison, you know. That's how I started with the first month of my stay there. And it grows on you though, Nigeria. And I love the people there. I think learning to be happy-go-lucky has come from them. Mm-hmm. I have taken on probably the best that Nigeria has had to give. I have also survived a mugging, to be fair. I've okay. faced it. I've been beaten up, left on the road with two broken ribs, a cut on my you know, uh, cheek beaten up with an iron rod. Do you want to share what happened? Yeah, so I was stuck, uh, you know, friends come over on Saturday night and we usually hang out at my place and two of them had a fight okay. that evening and they said, we're not coming. Okay. So because that one dropped out, another one dropped out, another one dropped out. So this is a group of four of us friends. So I said, okay, fine, then I'm driving back home. So usually on Saturdays, the driver, I let him off early because we drive back together as a group, so it's okay. And that evening, I was the only one driving back. I had a red-colored Kia Picanto, I still remember. And I was stuck in traffic uh, between a lot of taxis, a lot of yellow cabs. And uh, a group of Nigerian men were robbing an entire apartment on the opposite side of the road, which was absolutely empty. So when they came out robbing the apartment, they saw a red car and a foreigner sitting inside. And that was it. So I got attacked. I lost a laptop. I lost about $2,500 cash. I oh. broke my glasses. Uh, the only thing that remained was my iPod, which is like a nano little one. I still remember. I was dragged out of the car. The window was broken. I was dragged out. The thing is, you you should not see their face. Hmm. Don't look at them when this is happening. You need to just hand over what you have. They didn't give me time enough to hand over, and I got beaten up for that. So I was kicked uh, so hard that I broke two ribs. And, you know, I had glass all over me on one side. And I realized that this is not going to work for me. If I need to survive this, I really need to think what I have to do. And I pretended I stopped breathing and I pretended to play dead, literally. So they actually checked if I had breath. And I got another two set of kicks after that. And I refused. I was just totally limp. I let my muscles go completely. And... Once I saw them drive off, that's the time. And one of them dragged, he says, okay, let's go. We've got what we wanted. And that's when I got up and people were shocked because they thought I was actually dead. And But none of them helped out. I asked for a phone to call my friends and uh, nobody would help you out. So I actually drove the car like that, literally blind because I wasn't, my glasses weren't there anymore. Drove home and then called my friends. Mm. So yeah, I survived that. I didn't drive for about a week. And I said, chuck it. I need to get back on the wheel because I love driving. For me, mm-hmm. it's like the most uh, you know, free space that I have. And I said, I'm going to get back to driving. So after a week, I was back, back on the road again. So that was me <laughs> and wow. the marking incident. Wow. Just maybe, you know, I would say this toughness of, uh, you know, if anybody else would have been there in your place, uh, I'm just making an assumption. And sorry, it'll be a bad assumption. Yeah. Uh, uh, that uh, you know, you had a you had a seven-year illustrious career with Navy, which was, I'm sure, it had toughened you up. And then you decide to go to Nigeria. You go through this ordeal, and uh, you say after we hey, let's drive. Right, that toughness, and you've changed eighty-three homes in your life, right? Which you proudly wear that badge of honor, uh, definitely. Uh, so, has that toughness and letting go, you know, come? Where where does it come from? Does it come from Navy from your training there, or does it come from somewhere else? Um, I think as a child, I was uh, pretty much on that space of not being fearful. Okay, quite a lot. So. I didn't have too many fears at that point. Like I would always be like, what's the worst that can happen? 
right mm. so i i grew up with that kind of mentality my dad kind of supported me in the fact that he didn't differentiate between me and my brother okay. uh although i wish he had paid more attention to my brother sometimes but then that's another story for another time but really when i was growing up that was where i was so my dad didn't stop me from doing what others were doing so that mm. is where i started from my mom was really conserved and uh, all the artistic stuff in my life comes from her but all the i think the the daring stuff comes from him but i think i was carrying that with me anyway because in college also you know if there was a resolution to be done for something breaking up a fight or something i would always be called right i ended up closing the college down for 3 days on my first second and third day of college where others were being ragged mm. so that's another thing you know that happened is during the mandal commission time politics so yeah and then but what the navy has really helped coming back to your question is it has helped uh, you know hone it it gives you a lot of logical structural thinking structured thinking uh, a logical ref- you know resolution to finding a solution with what is around you mm. right so i may not have had that entirely it existed but to hone it and to be able to train on it and yeah. to be able to make an impact as a result of it came in greatly a lot from the navy because in navy when your training phase is there you have uh, you've got your orientation which is mostly disorientation for those who are not <laughs> yeah i mean it's how you take it right yeah. and you can either really work very hard at it or you can work very smart at it and i was somewhere in between thinking okay work hard or work smart i think i went into the work smart part because i thought it was it it really works you know i mean yep. eventually you got to think on your feet and that's all about working smart with what's around you so yep. you taught that you're taught to make do with what's around you find solutions with what is available which is also a part of the interview process the ssb interview is one of the toughest in the world literally because it that the processes of the interview assesses those things for you hmm. so your resourcefulness with what's available to find a solution that's important right and the navy really hones it once you get into training so they do your orientation then you do your i specialize in logistics so i did my logistics management training which yeah. literally is a five and a half month of management training which mba is complete in two years wow. right so it's a constricted mba literally apart from that fact you're also doing other things at the same time so it's it's really really crazy but it's fun then you do your behavioral sciences training you do your leadership training you do your firefighting training then you do your ship training and then you're ready for your you know posting so it's a whole load of segregated things but yes the honing the polishing of your skills uh recognizing yourself for what you are that comes in from the navy yes i i'm totally internally you know grateful to my trainers to the people i've worked with every each and every person i met has taught me something and it's interesting right what you just said logistics with behavioral sciences to leadership to yeah. understanding the ship right four or five very distinct topics where probably today in modern corporate setup or uh, education setup people will spend four years five years seven years just learning those one stream yes. and in navy you are kind of given that same level of training but in a constrained and a, a limited yes. time and you are yes. supposed to be as good as anybody else coming in who's getting seven years or 10 years of education experience right so yes. but logistics to hr where did that transition and where did that pivot happen for you right uh, it's it's interesting right because uh, you know if you think about it at least for me if i have to think about it it's a big big pivot yes uh, so how did that transition happen so pivoting is something you learn in basketball okay it's one of the strongest things that you can learn let's put it that that's one part step one step two in the navy when you do logistics you are also doing a lot of things uh, logistics in the navy includes uh, actually working as an ea mm-hmm. and a, as an executive assistant which means operations yeah you work as a logistician you're you're managing stores you're managing people you're managing material you're managing catering you're managing uh, material planning you're managing material procurement you're managing service records you're managing uh talent ac- uh, not acquisition but training and upskilling yeah. constantly you're managing discipline you're managing leadership you're managing teamwork all of these come somewhere in hr when you look at it yeah. when i left 
I did not get into any of these lines. I got, uh, so the behavioral training, what I was talking about, you know, the behavioral sciences, yeah. uh, you get to specialize or you get to try and fix one part of your specialization on some on something. For me, that specialization was body language. That really helped. I had fun with body language. I still have fun with it. I use it every single day of my life. That's how I do it. Then when I moved out from the Navy, I got into sales. Just yeah. by quirk, because I actually was hired for logistics and I was told to take up sales. When I joined my next, next work assignment, I was hired as an EA and I was asked to handle IT retail. So every single time I've stepped into a role, my roles have changed the minute I've stepped in. And I don't know what they see in me and they say, no, I think you're more suited for this. And I'm, you know, left in a spot thinking, okay, I did join for this, which I know I can do. And this is what they're seeing in me. Clearly, they're seeing a potential which I'm not seeing. Maybe let's just try it. So that's how, you know, why not? It's mostly yeah. about what if. And uh, for me, it's why not? Okay, let's just have a go at it. I have simmered down quite a bit now <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, just deep diving right away. I was that kind of a person. Someone would say, okay, you think we can do this? Yeah, let's do it. I wouldn't give it a second thought. Now I give it months sometimes. Mm. And sometimes it's a couple of days. It just depends on what, how long-term or short-term it is. Uh, but I've learned to slow down a little bit. But it has not changed the way I work because it's culmination of so many things. So for me, it is one life I have. So my targets are not based on a career path, literally. My targets have always been based on things that I want to do in my life before I die. So my bucket list is uh, more important to me. Okay. And I love checking them off. And I have a bottomless bucket. So that's hmm. the other. Talk about what has been the craziest thing you've done as part of your bucket list. Craziest thing as part of my bucket list. So crazy stuff is not on my bucket list, really. It's a lot of travel. It's okay. a lot of experiences. Like, uh, for example, uh, doing the TEDx talk that I did. That okay. was on my bucket list. I did it. Uh, crazy stuff I've done apart from that. That's different. I mean, uh my first solo trip, for example, when I've been, I've been driving alone a lot. So mm. I, I drive a car. I have clocked over 124,000 kilometers now on my wow. car. Yeah. In the past eight years. And it's just been one journey after another and amazing experiences. Uh, some of the crazy stuff I can't talk about. It's all very classified in terms of I mean, sure. people won't take me seriously after that. So I'm going to put that aside. No, that's okay. Yeah, my my bucket list has got now things that I really want to deep dive into in terms of my personal growth, okay. uh, which can't come right now. I think I have two, three more years to do other stuff, which I want to do in terms of community building and other things. I'm looking at gaps. I'm identifying gaps and I want to fill those gaps. So I'm looking at mm -hmm. that in terms of work. So I, I don't work in a space where it's uh, restrictive. Uh, people usually say, think out of the box. And I'm like, where's the box? So I'm literally in that kind of a space most of the time. Something this is fascinating, right? Somebody at your level who've had an illustrious career uh, still has that go-getter uh, thought process. Like, you know, I still have a lot of things to be done. Uh, and because you've been in HR, I'm going to uh, ask you a very critical question, right? Uh, yeah. When you see uh, younger generation coming through, uh, and when I say younger generation, maybe it's your own daughter or you see people around today getting into the corporate setup or even in the armed forces. Do you see a change like this point which you made, what if and why not? You know, it kind of made me think a lot. Like I see a lot of people today, they don't, they're not, they're very resistant to kind of say, why not? Right. Like they don't want to do that. They want to, they're very structured. They've said, oh no. I've thought about, you know, I want to build a career in an ID. I don't want to do HR. Like you've done sales, you've done, you've been an EA, you've done an IT yeah. roles, right? Do you see a change in that? Especially from an HR lens, which you have had for many, many years as well. See, uh, you know, from an HR perspective and even from the perspective of my career, my entire career for that matter, uh, we are living in a world where the generation is very, very different yeah. in perspective. 
in perspective and in the sense of entitlement. I'm not running down the new generation. I am very excited to work with them. Uh, but I also believe, you know, uh, number one, the hiring process filters uh, out a lot of people who would be far more interesting to hire. Right. That's one. Because everybody is focusing so much on keywords and not really focusing on the person who's eventually going to do the job. So I always find that if I find a quirky, unique CV, which has bypassed somebody else, I would like to call that person in and really find out. The resistance part that you talk about in terms of the new generation comes from, um, I think there's more of the self than working as a team. I feel there's a gap there. Why I feel there's a gap there is because we uh, find that the new generation, and it's entirely our fault, really, because we brought up this generation, right? Uh, the sense of entitlement of the self is far stronger. Mm. The world owes me. No, the world existed before you came in. It's got to exist after you go. You owe the world also, yeah. right? So service before self came in, of course, from the Navy. So I'm also talking about my own experience. I'm talking from my perspectives, right? It's been a struggle for me for a, in a number of areas and arenas, even as an HR person, because we talk about DEI is a big thing, for example, right? Diversity. Yeah. Inclusion. Yeah. It is not easy. Also, when you're talking about inclusion, and I know I'm going to get a lot of brickbats for this, but I'm going to be very, very blunt here, is uh, I have a struggle now identifying or, you know, including myself in that space where people are more focused on, hey, this is how I want to be addressed. He, she, they, them. Yeah. They, them, I'm sorry. My grammar doesn't fit in there. Yeah. I have been clobbered for years to get my grammar right. This really messes it up, number one. Number two, if that is what bothers you so much today, rather than fighting or putting up a voice for good healthcare system, infrastructure, bigger picture of things which can make life easier for one and everyone, including yourself, as a citizen uh, who is 18, 19, 20, 21, you're voting, you're approaching your voting age, what are you voting for? What are your voices for? Yeah. Where is that coming? Uh, where is that? That is sorely missing. It's a, such a huge gap. And when I am trying to hire someone to get into the team, I'm looking for that unique spot where they also talk about this with a lot of passion and they want to do something about it. Those are the people I would love to hire. Not somebody who gets offended with aggression there's a lot of aggressiveness, even in trying to defend, ki, hey, this is what I want to be. I want to be addressed as them there. Please go back to English class. For me, it's like that now. I've become probably more hardened by it, but I also understand the ridiculousness of it. Yes. If you're talking equity, let's talk about for everyone in a bigger picture first, because you belong to that picture. You belong to that planet, right? So if you want to put up a voice, put up a voice against people, for example, who are polluting, who yeah. are littering. Don't contribute to the litter, for example. Then you can make a change. And that change will drive anybody to hear your voice when you're talking for yourself yeah. only, right? Women voices, for example, get cancelled out now by other gender voices. I want to be, uh, you know, my sexual preferences and other things. That's your private life, really. It is private eventually. You know, people yeah. just keep poking their nose into other people's affairs and for all the wrong reasons. I mean, live and let live, yeah? If I don't know what your gender pronoun is because I've never met you in my life, yeah. I will just put a blanket apology out and say, hey, hey, trigger warning for everybody who gets triggered by this, but this is what I'm going to speak about. I am going to refer as they. I'm not going to refer as they, them, but I'm going to refer as he, she, please consider yourself included. Yes. I'm not going to do this. Because that's a waste of time. I'm losing my focus from the bigger picture of things. So, yeah, I can rant about this all the way, but consent is important, you know. Uh, and I would like to actually, I'm taking extra time, but yes, I would like to put no. across this small point, okay? Consider this. Women have been struggling a lot over their own gender, you know, equity. Yes. Okay? Across centuries, across the decades in India, especially now, we have just right about being heard okay yeah now you also have a third gender transgenders 
Yep. I am all for transgenders. I would love to do something for them to find employment and create that ecosystem. I'm working on it. It's a long-term project. Yeah. But a simple thing like using a restroom. Let's just talk about that. And I mean, I'm just giving an example. Yeah. Men's restroom, a transgender doesn't want to use. Yeah. Women's restroom, a transgender is allowed to use in certain yes. spaces. Okay. Nobody asks the women, how comfortable are you allowing transgenders to use your restroom? Number one. Number two. Why not have a common restroom? Then you have a hygiene issue. Women already have hygiene issues with other women not following hygiene issues. And yes. here you're bringing in somebody else without our consent into even the restroom. It becomes a bother. And it does not mean I don't regard transgenders. It does not mean I don't regard that they have a right to their own privacy and space and hygiene space for them to use a restroom. It is such a big issue. Let that particular space be, which is why you'll find even on Twitter, even LinkedIn, Facebook, LinkedIn's become literally glorified Twitter, uh, uh, glorified Facebook, really. But it's okay. I mean, I'm still, I'm still managing LinkedIn and accepting it for what it is. But the the aggression with which the opposing parties come in and put in non-agendas into that entire theme, I'm like. Okay, then you rather accept and say, hey, in my perspective, this is there, but we be mindful about that. Yeah. But uh, there are so many areas where you just need to understand that one fight is not the same as another fight. And it needs to be looked at uh, with a bigger picture and not cancel off somebody. We keep canceling ourselves off, forget everybody else. We self-reject so many times. We women self-reject especially and you know how that comes in that comes in especially when you're applying for jobs yeah women look at a list of responsibilities if they don't take off every one of them they don't apply men look at it 60 percent, they'll apply yeah perception conditioning that you have to be perfect all the time that's one fight that's already happening and then you added so many fights to it i mean this can go on no this can no, and you bring out a very interesting point. And just before this uh, recording, when we started and we got online, I was just scrolling my Twitter, uh, or which is X platform right now. Yeah. And uh, I was not aware. I didn't, you know, I stopped reading newspapers these days and news media because, you know, it's just polarization one yes. way or the other. Uh, I, I, It's not that I'm not aware of what's happening in the world. I'm aware, but just too much right and somebody just posted that there was a distasteful ad which was posted uh, in one of the premium news publication in India uh, and it was distasteful to one of our neighbors because of the World Cup which is cricket World Cup which is happening just say uh, Pakistan yeah. <laughs> yeah. so see uh, I, I'm a human being before a nation before a, a, a religion before everything else right yeah. uh, and yes India won Pakistan, I was rooting for India, right? Yeah. Uh, it's that passion or people say bleed blue, I bleed blue, right? Because I love yeah. my nation. Yeah. But uh, you do that from a sportsmanship perspective. You don't do it from a humanitarian perspective. You don't go yes. ahead and get in religion involved. You don't get uh, typecasting like you were discussing, like A, you know, this yeah. is typecast. And that ad was distasteful. Right, yes. and yes. that person who posted, he's he's a Hindu. He's not a, nowhere a Muslim, right? Or who's talking about this ad being distasteful? And I see somebody who's a somebody who's a CEO, right? Uh, saying that you are not an Indian, right? Uh, mm. On uh, and this person, I was like, really, right? Uh, you know, and today having these open conversations or expressing yeah. your point of view is becoming difficult these days, right? And this innate hate which is there towards humanity not towards a country or a religion or XYZ is just towards humanity, is just aggravating I, I don't want to get started on that I know it, this podcast yeah. will get converted into something else but it just kind of boils down to that same yeah. conversation you just mm. said, having these difficult conversations these days Right, mm -hmm. these are difficult conversations. Yes, uh, people kind of have to think twice. But you know, you and I are having these difficult conversations yeah, yeah. on today's platform, which we never intended to. Uh, 
uh, which is coming out. But yeah. you know, how do you think people can you know have these open and difficult conversations, which they may not like to hear or they may not agree with, but still they need to be done in a corporate setup? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, what you said is actually right. Okay. And I I faced this dilemma from a very different standpoint, but I faced it. One because I've never really looked at surnames to decide whether I want to be friends with someone. Yeah. That's one. Second, when I was brought up by my father, uh, I keep saying father because he was a really huge influence into sure. me being secular, for example. Yeah. Right? They call it secular now. Unfortunately, not getting the grammar right again. That's all yeah. I can say. I'm being a snob, but yeah. <laughs> and the thing is that. i grew up like that right yeah and those were my values yeah. i built my value system around it and unfortunately so my father now is a hard right mm. uh, would not tolerate uh, mention of a muslim friend or you know so that is there people yeah. all grow into either you become uh, very liberal or you become very conservative i am just a conservative liberal let me put it that way yeah uh, go figure yeah Uh, but the thing is, I get asked this question. So, oh, so you are from Kashmir, you know? Uh, what do you think about Kashmir? Yeah, hmm. uh, what a trick question is that? It's so easy for somebody to just ask, "What do you think about Kashmir?" Yeah. And I'm like, you know, it's not easy. It's not an easy answer. Yeah. Number one, because I was born in Kashmir, so I am a Kashmiri. Yeah. When I was born, I had a separate constitution. Yes, yeah. I did. Right. but i am also an indian citizen yeah i am indian i i travel on an indian passport yeah my my place of birth is in <laughs> india right so i am an indian yes yeah. uh would i like to visit pakistan yes i would but the minute i say it i would have 20000 people saying you can go to pakistan and live there okay yeah. and now i'm naming the country let me just put it that way i i don't get scared um which gets me into a lot of trouble uh, where people think i'm very opinionated but no like you said humanity comes first right yes. and me being a fudgy right yeah. makes it even harder for people to you know uh, put a fix on ki oh but you know you support war no i don't yeah fudgies were created to protect your borders yes yes but it wasn't about pushing someone for war yes. no that's not my job right and a lot of people who sleep peacefully at night need to also be aware that that gratitude comes from those who are you know in the borders when you go for example to kargil uh, yeah. war memorial the list of names of people who died in the kargil war i've sat there and i've howled for half an hour literally after being stoic i still broke down crying because of the names i read there they came from people from different states different religions different caste they had no reason to die yeah they had to be selfish right but that's part of what they had to do yeah which none of us a lot of us would never sign up for because you really don't know the horrors you could go through if you get caught yes right so putting that in perspective putting for example in perspective what's happening in israel what's happening with palestinians with hamas yeah. and everything else yeah. and you cannot put sports at war yeah that is what unfortunately it has become i don't watch cricket i don't sure people mention the ad because i don't read the newspapers anymore because there's so much of hatred yeah newspapers do not relay news the way it is it's not a fact narrative anymore it is opinionated yes and unfortunately so that is not something i want to feed myself with right yeah. for me it is if i'm meeting somebody and i'm not treating them differently because they come from a different caste or a religion i mean i'm having a great conversation with you i would love to have another coffee with you and that's sure. going to happen right definitely uh, yeah and it's going to raise a lot of antagonism among my family members saying oh how can you say that it will happen even for this because mm. every time i side up with somebody who is uh, you know um, for example pro congress yeah. right because they're saying something which means makes it's making sense to me i get told oh but you don't know what happened in the 84 riots yeah i'm like i do know but let's be real i'm living in another world right now that is the past you have tried wars and hatred and you know 
disinformation and all kinds of negativity to see and set the world right it yeah. has not worked why don't you switch gears try kindness try compassion try inclusivity try going beyond borders because those borders exist only on world maps on the globe yeah they don't you can't see a border unless you put a fence there no, and who's building those fences why are we building those fences right yeah. it's if you're living on the same planet what yeah. one does impacts another no matter what and then there is the apathy factor where you say oh but it's not making a difference to you you're not saying anything about israel you're not protesting against it. i said, i don't have to do that because yeah. that is not really going to make a change but if i can make the environment around me not turn into an israel and palestine that'll be something right yeah. so and coming back to the sports part of it i feel we've lost uh, what you call the spirit of sport yeah we used to have an oath when we were in school you know talking about the spirits of sportsmanship and yeah. the integrity of sportsmen that does not exist anymore it's it's satta in a way it is mm. satta yeah i mean no matter how much you crib about uh, oh you know india won and pakistan lost half of them would have betted 90% mm. would have laid bets on certain things so there's a lot of corruption that's gone into sports as well uh, it's disappointing uh, i loved watching sports earlier now i don't i don't even own a tv Hmm. the negativity out do what you can and live a good life breathe that's more hmm. important now but not for the self alone so yeah yeah this one thing which is uh coming out right like definitely uh you know the way you've been groomed as a child and the way you've had different careers and you've had different experiences have made you who you are today uh and i would say you know definitely i see that change uh, and i when i meet a lot of army uh, armed force people who served in the armed forces right they definitely have a different thought process like you said uh, you know uh, they they don't go for wars because they hate the other person they are going for wars to protect the border which they have signed up for right that they yeah. have taken an oath for that they will yes. do what it takes to protect that the people behind that border or behind their back who's whom they are fighting for right so uh and and you do one thing which is interesting which i saw in your linkedin profile which is veteran transitions right and we need more of them in fact yeah hearing you out i think we need more people in the corporate setup because we need that uh, candidly right uh, so you know is it easy for veterans to transition in the in the corporate setup no not not in india in the us you know when you look at the us i'm just giving it a point of comparison because yeah. it's it's relevant uh, the honor that's given to the veteran um, in terms of their services very different that's yeah. the first part and then i'm going to keep it at that because uh, i know veterans in the us are also struggling right so let's yeah. just get back to india and let's talk about what's here what's real for us uh, veterans do struggle in terms of being uh, beginning a corporate career hmm. one uh so a number of us are also in that space of helping veterans transit yeah uh helping in the way that uh, we can so there's a load of for example experience you carry as somebody who has already transited and been in the corporate sector for decades not just the corporate sector actually in uh, entrepreneurship and other areas as well so when you share experiences when you create these uh, you know opportunities for them um you open up the world uh to a lot of experience that you can get from the veterans uh you know a lot of corporates lack few things which you see in terms of uh leadership dynamics in terms of discipline hmm. in terms of diversity in culture uh in terms of uh time management so th- all of these things are skill sets that every veteran can yeah you may find a few either or the which is not uh, you know you may find some who don't match the mark that you want to reach yeah. and i will not deny that either yeah but a majority of the veterans carry that skill and these are skills that work everywhere navy veterans per se for example are people who roll up their sleeves don't wait to be told what to do they just go ahead and do it all right yeah. why it happens is because we work on ships 
Yeah. On ships, if an officer cannot roll up their sleeves and work, the sailors will not respect them, and they don't they don't uh, follow them. Hmm. So it's leading by example, right? Yeah. Uh, interestingly, also Navy veterans, whether they are from the officer rank or the other ranks, they are they most of them hold a graduate degree, master's degree, double master's degree. Wow. Know a couple of languages. So they are not bilingual. They sometimes know three to four languages minimum, including foreign languages. They are that qualified, right? Uh, and they're in every almost every stream. We have schools, we have hmm. colleges that create these, you know, personnel, and they're coming out and they've got a load of talent. Yeah. People don't hire them. Number one, uh, it is. I find the number one reason is just. Wondering whether they understand the corporate language, which mm. we help. Uh, you know, when we are doing transition, we tell what them. What is this corporate language? What is this corporate language? Corporate language is. Let me just put it this way, okay? If you are, for example, doing uh, an operation, yeah, in the forge, and you're calling it Operation X, mm. no, uh, you know, no disregard to Elon Musk and Twitter, but yeah, Operation X. So. You are doing that task within a certain time frame, within a certain budget, with a certain number of people. Yeah. Okay. You evaluate the entire thing. You plan. You execute. You finish it on time. Mm. You save budgets. You save money and time sometimes, and get it done in far lesser than what was expected to be used. It's all planning, right? Yeah. When I put that on my CV, saying I was operationally the, uh, you know, operation commandant or in charge of this particular operation and this is what I did and I led a man of this is to do this yeah that language is very military yeah because the jargon is military yeah now when you switch to the corporate jargon it's a simple you know then you say skilled project manager who works within budgets executes projects on time uh, has leadership skills enables a diverse team of people to work together to achieve an objective. There's a translation there. It's corporate language. Interesting. There's a translation. Okay. The funny part is in corporates themselves, every corporate has their own language. That is the complex part. Every single time I have transited from one position in HR to another company in HR, the abbreviations are crazy. Yes. Every place has abbreviations and I'm like, can we just spend extra two, three seconds and mention the full thing yeah. and everybody in the same picture. Because any newcomer gets, uh, you know, feels excluded because they are not included in the jargon and they expect it to learn. So a lot of time orientation is literally about teaching them that these are the languages being used. Yeah. And it's it's funny, but that's how it is. And I, I find it crazy. It drives me crazy. And as an HR head, if it's driving you crazy, you can imagine what happens to an employee who's totally lost, new, has lesser number of experience, and, you know, they have to deal with it. But coming back to the veteran, the foggy language and the corporate language, that is where the language uh, thing is there. Yeah. The keywords to be used in a resume, for example, that would translate to some other language, which is being used as a keyword in some other corporate. So mm -hmm. that is where the transition, uh, you know, the mentoring comes in. So, yes, and I am working on something which is uh, hopefully to bringing these veterans together so that the mentoring can happen in a more cohesive manner. I am also a lot more interested in actually working on veterans who are of non-officer ranks. Okay. Mainly because in this entire helping transit, they don't get included. And I want to include them into that, uh, you know, into that conversation as well. So yeah, the couple of projects that I'm working on, I hope it nice. it yeah it takes off. But it's a whole lot of things that are happening on the sideline now. And uh, but yes, we keep doing this, and uh, I do a one-on-one -on -one as well in terms of profiling for them. Okay, veteran profiling is where, as a forgy, you know, no matter what talent you had or what innate talent you have as a child, natural talents, you will work in a certain set space where you are only using certain parts of your talent or maybe not using it at all. So when they leave and transit, they're only looking at project management because that's all they've done. They're yeah. only looking at, uh, say, marine technology because they've learned only marine technology and they feel comfortable in it. 
but yeah. you also have your talent space which needs to get identified agree and when i do profiling this is what i do i speak to them and we filter down to identifying which is your area of talent some yeah. might just be great sales people and they are yeah some might be great at pr some might be absolutely great at marketing and they don't even touch it and they go straight off to do you know uh, certain specifics of what they are advised from somebody who stuck to that little pond yeah it's an ocean and i mean the opportunities are so many now yes. as to what we used to have teacher doctor accountant banker you know engineer no i i can tell you uh, recently so yeah the, recently we hired uh, at my the company which i work with uh, for one of our product we've hired a senior product person who's had two almost two decades of illustrious career in the armed forces and when when we got deeper to understand right to like like you said right even in the corporate we typecast people hey this person is uh, from armed yeah. forces they they will do great in project management but no when i went deeper into that conversation he was saying the kind of technology and technology ecosystem he was working with because our company is all about technology and i was really baffled like hey because there is a lack of awareness or completely we as civilians we don't know what happens right in the armed forces yeah. right i'm sure you all uh, you may be breeding some of the best chefs in the world right uh, yeah. who may be working in the yeah. armed forces right they can start yes. an illustrious career being a, one of the best chefs in the world uh, and they know how to cook in quantity uh, and ensure that the yes. quality is there right so these things are completely unknown and that's what intrigued me when i looked at it and that's why i wanted to double click on that particular point for what you what you shared yeah. thank you for sharing uh that's interesting perspective on that it is it is so i'm not looking at you know so a lot of veterans who transit literally say oh you know i want to get a job yeah. and i keep telling i also advise the veterans i said don't look for a job look for internships yeah internships are far more important for you take on a six month internship where you can bargain negotiate your way around because then you have once you finish your internship for 6 months you have a 6 month internship experience to carry with you on your resume yeah right also when we interview veterans we we tend to just home in on what's written on the resume uh, also because you have far younger people immature people also interviewing these veterans at the first round and i'm sorry they don't match that language doesn't match also because yes. in forge we are eventually in a restricted bubble of where we are working and we're working with people who mature up really quickly you know uh, uh, a cadet who just becomes a young officer uh, his level of maturity will be far different from the same 20 year old old elsewhere yes or 21 year old i was 22 and a half and my maturity level was far different from you know somebody in the corporate sector at 22 and a half you do just doing a flunky doing rounds yep. you know and here i'm like i can take charge of that i can do that and i can do that 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 multitasking so yep. there's a whole lot of things that we don't get gear up for but internships really help i would actually urge veterans to apply as much for internships even when there's a job there say okay just give me 6 months yeah and i would also urge corporates to open their minds to Taking them in as interns, yes. sometimes you have a gap filled up, and you know that this is what I want. You may not be sure that will the task be done or not, but take a chance sometimes because you just never know what gold mine you're hitting into, yeah. and it may just transform the entire space for you yeah. at far bigger uh, experiences, which you can multiple use in various tasks, cross-functional, you know, workspace. so workspaces need to open up as much as veterans need to open up but veterans also need to open up to taking bigger mm-hmm. risks i feel in the area of entrepreneurship we mm-hmm. just don't take enough risks and maybe i maybe a business model for someone yes. to think about is listening to I've this podcast i've got several i'm talking i'm talking to a lot of people uh sure. veterans who are getting together to create these eco spaces where we actually start up for them uh entrepreneurship ideas which includes veterans also and gets them into industry uh quicker because uh, the corporate sector is not catering enough for veterans to be hired and mm-hmm. we all know that the capacity the capability that they have 
yeah. capability enhancement, if it's not happening with the corporate sector, I would say be ready for disruption because it's going to happen very quickly. Definitely. That's the only hint I'm going to give you what is going to happen. No, no, it is definitely happening. I can tell you that much. Now, on that note, uh, I hope the business which you're trying to set up uh, specifically for the ecosystem when it comes to veterans uh, is successful. Uh, I would definitely love to participate because, you know, while we were talking, suddenly names started coming into my mind, people who've served in the armed forces and I have come across them, I've worked with them. They've been peers, they've been seniors, they've been variety of people, right? And as I said, uh, you know, we just hired somebody who's uh, served in the armed forces for two decades and it's it's fascinating as well as promising uh, and I wish you luck on that, Sandhya. Thank and, you so much. And thank you for taking time out today. It's been an absolute honor and a ple- pleasure. And one thing which we don't often say in India to veterans like you, thank you for your service. Thank you so much, Anis. It has been an absolute pleasure having a conversation with you. A Sunday very well spent. Let me yeah. just add that. And I think you are doing a lot from your side to also, you know, spread the word because podcasts are heard everywhere. And uh, happy to share the link and, you know, share it with others as well uh, because it helps build up the ecosystem. Uh, every little thing counts. And I'm so glad you're doing this. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope we get to have a coffee sometime soon. Definitely. And whatever, I, whatever you drink. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I would love to come closer yeah. to where you are and uh, catch up a good coffee in Dharamshala or McCloy Branch. Most welcome. I know the perfect space. Otherwise, uh, wherever you are and I'm in town, I will definitely meet up. Definitely. Look forward. Thank you.